Future CEOs, Rising Star Wednesdays. So you want to be a CEO? Sure, go ahead, read your ABCs of managing book. Or if you really want to be a CEO, then keep on listening to this Future CEOs podcast with your host, Gareth Armstrong, as he gets you up close and personal with real-world CEOs, thought leaders, and industry experts to learn from their experiences and the insight and wisdom they've gained while leading in these challenging and ever-changing times. Are you ready? Then let's do this. Hi, I'm Gareth Armstrong. Welcome to Future CEOs. Today I'm sitting with Gil Ovid, the co-founder and co-CEO of the Creative Council. Gil is also a Dragon's Den SA Dragon, GQ's 2014 Best Dressed Man, and both he and his business partner, Run. By the way, we'll be sitting with Run soon, so you'll be hearing from him soon as well. Both of them have recently received numerous awards as a result of the leadership that the Creative Council is displaying in their industry, and also both of their leadership as they guide this organization forward and upward. It's going to be a great conversation. Here he is now. Gil Ovid, co-founder and co-CEO of the Creative Council. Welcome to Future CEOs. It's great to have you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. No, no, thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Um, you're quite a, an interesting name out there in the media space, certainly in the advertising world. Do you mind telling us a little bit about the Creative Council, what you guys have done and achieved? Brag a little, we don't mind. And um, then we're going to shift attention from the Creative Council onto you, because that's why we're actually here, to talk to you about you. Oh, goodness. Okay. I much prefer to discuss the Creative Council. But So, yeah, the Creative Council was founded in August 2001. We started uh, very humbly as an in-store promotions company. It was a fairly low barrier to entry business, and we thought it would be fun placing good-looking girls in stores and and malls. Yeah, multiple benefits from hanging out with uh, good-looking girls and still making money from it, huh? Yeah, it, it seemed like a winning recipe. I, I don't think at the time we, we ever thought that it would be what it is now. But uh, now, 13 and a half years later, we are the largest advertising group in, in the country, mm. as per ad review. It's the first time that a non-traditional advertising agency is number one. It's the first time that a, an independent agency is number one. But the term non-traditional is, is what, what we are. So we're a sales and marketing solutions company focusing on engaging and interacting with consumers in a direct way mm. and getting them to act and or transact, getting real action out of the people that we engage. The business is comprised of multiple companies from field marketing to social media to creative design strategy, placement of people, and really everything in between. So we look to be a full value chain solutions provider to our clients. So you're not talking about a company with divisions. You're talking about a comp an umbrella company, really, with uh, multiple other companies that then report into this umbrella structure. That's exactly right. So we're a group of companies who all interact with each other in what we try to make a, a seamless engagement and kind of like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Sure. So the ultimate solution to client is they have one point of contact and a solution that starts from creative conceptual all the way through to execution. I think that's one of the big differentiators between us and other agencies is okay. 
we never propose ideas until we have vetted them and know that they are realistic, that they're project manageable, that they can come in on budget and in time and knowing all the constraints. Mm. So that's the real differentiator. We do what we say. We don't just conceptualize. We actually end up doing it. Sure, sure. No, that, that's a very interesting and important point. How did that all begin, though? So you started a, a, a small business. How did you then begin acquiring other businesses? Tell us a little bit about that journey, perhaps. So in 2001, we had uh, come off, when I say we, my business partner and I, the co-founders of the company, we had been in partnership for three years. We had uh, raised a few million rand in the days of the internet boom. Mm. And we had created a financial portal that was going to allow day traders to get share price information and trade online. We were on paper, internet millionaires. We thought this was it. (laughs) And uh, three years down the line, the internet bust came about and all of a sudden, We found ourselves uh, without money, without credibility, very low morale, and kind of like looking for what to do next with our lives and contemplating the very scary scenario of actually going to work for a boss. Mm. But uh, we loved entrepreneurship. We loved the the ability to be a master of one's own destiny, even if that destiny wasn't going to be successful. And we were looking for something to do, and we got into promotions. So it was really by sheer chance and luck that we got into this into this game. And certainly at the time when we started the business, we never once imagined that we would be acquiring companies and buying into the value chain. Mm. So very often these things just happen. We found ourselves in the midst of a revolution, unbeknownst to us at the time. But okay. There was a massive shift globally away from above-the-line budgets and traditional advertising to below-the-line or through-the-line and non-traditional. Mm. And with the proliferation of digital and multi-screen content consumption and an ability to mass personalize and an ability for digital to create very relevant one-on-one engagement, all of this revolution was upon us and we Mm. found ourselves right in the middle of this opportunity. And we seized it. We believe that we somewhat pioneered it in South Africa. We kind of went to our clients and we said, look, if you want to continue doing 30-second TV commercials, there are better established agencies to do that. But for everything else, we're your guys. Mm. We're ready to redefine how you pay us. We're ready to redefine how we monetize our business. We're not scared to do new things. In fact, we embrace it. And our philosophy is every six months, we've got to be doing something new. Mm. We've got to have a new shtick. Mm. And clients responded to it. Mm, no, Very, very nice. So in many ways, you were ahead of the curve or have been ahead of the curve up to now. How are you staying ahead of the curve? Because as the market has changed, there are other players that are changing and trying to push, which is healthy for any business. How are you staying ahead? Because you've grown so much. So it's nerve-wracking. And it's actually quite funny. My friends always know me as the new shtick guy. Okay. That's that's my thing. So every few months, my circle of friends who are actually, none of them are really in advertising. They're like accountants and lawyers and stuff. Okay. They'll come to me and they're like, Gil, what's the new, new thing? What are you, what, what are you working on that's the new, new thing? And I, I feel the pressure to kind of come to them with my new shtick, my, yeah. my new pitch. But um, that is a, a basic pillar of our culture. And I really believe that any business is only a business because of its culture. Mm. That is what defines it as as a business because everything else changes over time. 
So our, our culture has always been about innovation, about coming up with a new, new thing. And not only about staying ahead of the curve, but inventing the curve. And isn't that the core of entrepreneurship? Absolutely. It's about yes. being a master of your own destiny. And there are no rules. There is no road that you have to follow. And that's what makes it so exciting. So the nature of our business kind of translated well to our own personalities, myself and, and Run. Mm. We love the new, new thing. We seek it all the time. And when we can't find it, we invent it. And that has been uh, basically permeating into the rest of the companies within the group. And hopefully that will continue. But yes, absolutely. Our, our competitors are not only the big agencies. It's the guy in the garage who's just woken up and decided he's going to come up with a new, new thing. And mm. if he beats us to it, we're in trouble. And yes, sometimes you can't just organically grow into innovation, you have to buy it. And a perfect example is one of the uh, recent acquisitions a, a few years ago was a company called Papa Media, mm. which was a social media business that is now doing phenomenally well, absolutely flying. And it was a business that we knew nothing about. And to be honest, even now, I understand probably about 20% of what they do. Sure. I can give a good sales pitch on it. But if anyone tries to interrogate, penetrate or... further, <laughs> uh, I defer to the guys in the know. Sure. But uh, a good CEO has to know that good innovation comes with the right acquisitions as well as the right organic growth. Mm, okay, very interesting. So let's shift away from creative counsel and let, let's focus the spotlight on you then because that's really what our future CEOs community is interested in hearing about, especially because of the nature of this kind of thing, which is on-demand listening. Podcasts are on-demand listening, and they have downloaded this to hear from you. Let's kick off with an interesting question, which we always begin with when we are sitting in these kinds of forums, and that is, in your experience, what does it take to be a CEO? It is an interesting question because um, I've had the privilege of interacting and speaking to many CEOs in a wide variety of industries. Mm. I'm actually part of a, an organization called YPO, Young Presidents Organization, mm -hmm. which is an organization of CEOs, young CEOs. So I have my whole life tried to find similarities, recipes for success for CEOs. Mm. And to this point, I can safely say that I've failed in finding the one thing that makes a true CEO. I've met extroverts and introverts and Democrats and autocrats and ADD guys and super logical, methodical guys mm. and inspiration guys. It really varies. So I don't think anyone is precluded from being a CEO. Mm. There is no silver bullet. But what I have found is that as different as all these CEOs are in their own right and successful as they may be, they all share a passion for what they do, an unbridled passion for what they do, and know who they are, are true to themselves. I think it's very difficult to be a disingenuous CEO. Sure. And I don't think it's a sustainable way. So guys who love what they do are passionate about it and imbue that passion in either an extroverted or introverted way. People can recognize passion and people can recognize real integrity and real people. I think long-term, sustainable, successful CEOs have those two qualities. 
Can you define passion? So it's an interesting word, and it's a word we, we throw about quite easily. Can you define it, though? Well, the beautiful thing about passion is that as much as it's indefinable, it's very clear, mm. and it's unmistakable. Passion is that kind of character, that trait that people are attracted to. They're inspired by it. They want to be around it. Passion is the kind of trait that forgives a lot of other failings. Mm. So I always say that to, to a lot of my staff, I say to them, I want you to do your best, but understand that you'll make mistakes. The one non-negotiable is that you show passion with everything that you do because your clients, your suppliers will forgive you for your mistakes. If they see that you have a passion for their brand and a passion for their careers mm. and a passion for them. Mm. So it's something that allows you to smooth over some of your other flaws that you may have, especially mm. if you're starting up entrepreneur. Uh, I've got this mantra that I live by okay. uh, that I think is the epitome of entrepreneurship, and I call it passion-fueled optimism. Okay. And for me, a good entrepreneur needs to have those two qualities. So obviously one is passion, and a lot will be forgiven and accepted if, if they show passion for what they do. And two is optimism. And I understand optimism is not being a realist. Mm. Optimism is not being rational and logical. So a good entrepreneur can surround himself with realists, but a good entrepreneur must be an optimist because mm. Very good point. you need to see the best that the world could be. And you need to believe that that is what it's going to be. I come from a family where my dad whilst being very supportive. My family were very supportive of me. My dad was an engineer. Mm. Very systems-oriented. Realist. Yeah, realist to the Solutions provider. And throughout, as much as he supported me to be an entrepreneur, whenever I'd come to him with my new, new idea, Mm. my new plan, he would, as is his responsibility, would poke holes in my my thinking. And he was always right. Mm. And in fact, even when myself and Ron went to him, and told him about the Creative Council and our plans for what we want to do, he showed us all the reasons that it would fail, and he was right on every single one of them. Okay. But one, he didn't take into account that with all those obstacles in mind, there is this element of passion that will find a way through, Mm. that will get through the obstacles, that will jump through the hoops and make a plan. And, you know, I often think back and I think, knowing now... If I knew that then, I would have never started the Creative Council. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Never. Just so many risks and so many things could have gone wrong and so many things went right by sheer chance and luck. But that is the beauty of entrepreneurs and the beauty of being an optimist is Mm. you just never see the the downside. And when when it approaches you, you find a way around it. So passion-fueled optimism. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Your developmental journey is very important uh, to our community. Or would you mind sharing a few early influences in your life? Maybe an experience or two that really helped you to, sh- to shape who you are today? Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. So I was, um, I was 26 when I started the Creative Council. Now, this is on the back of a failed dot-com busted mm. platform for investors, of course. Yes. In, in fact, I'm going to take you way, way more back than that. Please do. So here is the interesting thing. I was 26 when I started the Creative Council, mm. and I was literally, the day I started the business, I was at my lowest point. It was the lowest point of my life. Because and I'd, when we talk low points, sorry, if we, when we talk low points, we're talking emotional, mental, a whole bunch of different things, right? It was a combination of 
morale, confidence, financially, lost time and energy and, and reputation. When it's bad, it's bad. I'd failed in a second business mm. in my life. Okay. 26, whilst it's still young in the big scheme of things, to be a failed entrepreneur with nothing, no work experience, official work experience. Mm. On the face of it, at the time, it looked like I was doomed to be a failure mm. and a really low point in my life. What I didn't know at that point is how much I had been through and how much I had learned mm, yes. my whole life that led me to that day and that almost ensured my success for my third venture, which is the Creative Council. I think they have a, a very interesting phrase out in Silicon Valley that they use, and that's fail and fail fast, I think, so that mm. you can learn the lessons. That's what I hear you talking about here. Absolutely. So f failure is one of the most important criteria in the success of any entrepreneur. Mm. So I, I, I'll give you some scenarios of my life up until that point and the learnings that I derived – and only in retrospect did I realize that those learnings were going to, to manifest. Mm. Almost like if you recall in the, in the Karate Kid where he's taught to polish and wax on, wax off, and he doesn't know why the hell he's doing this silly stuff until Miyagi-san kind of comes to him and shows him that he's learned defending and kicking all mm. through uh, wax on, wax off. So it was all of that. I was waxing on, waxing off without <laughs> realizing that I was learning defense and attack and all of that. So... I started my, my working life at a fairly young age. I was 15, and I, I, even though I'd come from very humble beginnings, I always dreamt big. In my mind, I was always going to do something with my life, something big. And, mm. and as much as I'd come from fairly humble beginnings, I was not constrained by my surroundings. So at the time, we didn't have Google and YouTube and Facebook and all of that, so you know, your influences were primarily, I guess, celebrities. So, you know, and, uh, in those early days, I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be on film. I wanted to be famous. I thought that was going to be the big thing. So I focused single-mindedly on achieving that objective. I would dream about it. I would think about it. I would act on it because I believed even then that I'd be a master of my destiny. Mm, okay. And when I, I went for auditions and I got this gig on a TV show called Zap Mag. I was a TV presenter. And I thought that this is it. I'd arrived. I'd finally achieved my big objective in life and this was it. And strangely, the weirdest thing happened. As soon as I started appearing on television, I actually well, I felt very frustrated. Okay. Uh, surprisingly so. And I realized that as much as I thought I wanted to be on TV, I actually had a real passion for being behind the scenes because mm. what I realized is that as an actor and a presenter, you are a pawn exactly, for yeah. someone else's script and someone else's direction and someone else's fashion sense and someone else's lighting. And I realized I wanted to be a director, a producer. I wanted to, to be the director of my life. Mm. And even in those, days, uh, in those days, at the age of 15 and 16, from that point, I kind of realized intrinsically that I wanted to be master of my destiny, the director of my life. So that was a real first learning. And when I left school and all my friends were going to varsity and getting respectable degrees, I did that on the side because my real passion was for production. Sure. So not knowing anything about entrepreneurship, not even knowing the term, I wanted to go into production. And the only way you could do that in those days was start a TV production company. And that's sure. what I did. And I took one of the co-presenters that I'd met on the show and became friendly with, a guy called Vusi Twala. Mm -hmm. And there we were, 21 and 19, 
and started this TV production company called Juwazi Productions because I'm Jewish and he's Swati, sure. so it was called Juwazi. And it was interesting. We had a great logo, a great name, all the intent in the world, but absolutely no experience. We didn't have an office. We had nothing. Naivety in its purest form. Absolutely. Which is exciting, And isn't course. that how all good entrepreneurs start? Yeah, exactly. And so we went to the SABC and we said, listen, we want to get a show on here. And the commissioning editor, who had humored us, said, well, do you have an office? No. Do you have experience? No. Mm. You know, and... The truth is, if I'd been in her shoes, I would have never given us a chance. But she did. All right. Something about our passion and enthusiasm enthused her. And she gave us this opportunity with the four famous words, don't F it up. <laughs> she said it verbatim. And we set about making sure that, that we do well with it. Mm. And that was my second learning, which is that very often others will believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Interesting. And all too often, they're right. Mm. I think this is a great lesson is, even to this day, and I'm nearing my fourth decade, and second decade in business, even to this day, I stand outside a boardroom, ready to walk into this big meeting, mm. with big wigs and serious people with lots of money. Yeah. And I'll be standing there and thinking, oh my goodness, I feel 10 years old. I'm a little boy. What do they want from me? What am I going to do? I'm so scared. And somehow I pick myself up and I say, okay, right. I've got to stand up and make this happen mm. and walk in there and act as if and so shall become. And that's kind of what we did. And that's another lesson. You become the person that you act as if. Mm. So, you know, I don't like the term faculty. You make it. I also don't like the term, yes. I must admit. Yes. But I do like the idea of act as if and so it shall become. Mm. If you start thinking like a CEO, if you start behaving like a CEO, your mindset changes and you have control over your thoughts. That's exactly what we did. We behaved like a real TV production company. And in fact, the first show we ever put on air was a show called Super Kids. Mm. It was a very ambitious production. It was shot in the biggest studio at the SABC. Okay. Multi-camera setup, live mini gladiators game show and it was a huge success mm. because we acted as if and so it became on that note by the way i interviewed a very interesting doctor or professor dr tal ben shahaz what do they call him dr happiness he's a harvard professor and he mentioned this exact point if you want to be happy you have to behave happy you have to act happy because it does influence the way that you behave um, there is a, a book, but it's a, it's a very old book, a very old study that was done that my grandfather keeps on reiterating every time I sit and I try and have a bit of a, a counsel session with him. Psycho-cybernetics, the ability to program who you are by the way that you act. That's exactly what I hear you saying here. I believe that 100%. I've tested it. I have lived that mantra. So, mm. absolutely. So, yeah, so, I mean, you know, things like... Humble beginnings, but dreaming big. Mm. People will believe in you more than you believe in yourself, and they're often right. Act as if and so shall become are early life lessons that I garnered and that have allowed me to get to the point where by the time I started the Creative Council, I was already on my path to success, even though I didn't know it. Mm. Being the director of my life, understanding that you become what you think. You are what you do. These are fundamentals. 
passion-fueled optimism that people will be attracted to you if you show charisma for them and for what they're doing. So you're an, a young up-and-coming entrepreneur, maybe even a young executive in some of these instances, or you were perceived as such. What were maybe a mistake or, or two that you made simply because of this naive outlook that you guys had, uh, and then maybe a lesson that you learned from that as well? We've made so many mistakes. We've made way more mistakes than we've made right, correct decisions. But the difference is we were lucky and thoughtful that the good few decisions we made had a far greater impact than the many, many, many mistakes we made and continue to make. Mm. I think it is critical to make mistakes. And in today's times, I feel that we are so worried to do the wrong thing because it's so exposed and so transparent mm. given social media and the speed of communication, we're scared to make mistakes. And I think there is a flaw in that thinking because what is unacceptable is to make old mistakes. But I embrace the opportunity to make new mistakes. Mm, very nice. So, like I said, we make many mistakes all the time. I think one of the greatest mistakes that we made early on in life mm. is not understanding the importance of people. Can you give a, an example of that? Absolutely. So when we, when we started off, as any entrepreneur, where revenues aren't stable and there is, you're literally living from hand to mouth and mm. from month to month, one is tempted to hire cheap. So you don't hire the best, you hire the cheapest. Mm. And throughout the early years of the Creative Council, because of that, we paid dearly because mm. we didn't surround ourselves with brilliant people. We invested a lot of energy mentoring those who had potential but not experience. Mm, okay. And the cleverest people in the room were re regularly just ourselves, and sure. we're not that clever, mm. and we're not that experienced. And the difference between getting a very average staff member and a brilliant staff member is probably an extra 20% premium on that on that role. Mm. But you get 100% more. So from a value for money perspective, it's incomparable. We could have been double the size at half the time if we had surrounded ourselves with people who had done this before, who had played this game before, who didn't have to think of great solutions and make so many mistakes, but who had seen other big companies make mistakes and bring their learnings along for us. So I hear a lot of CEOs say that, and initially I thought it was just junk talk and mm. sounds good. But if it's the only thing that I will take with me to my next venture is surround myself with brilliant people, pay what it takes, because I know I'll get tenfold back. The other mistake that I, that I think we made is, which is kind of ironic, it's, it's a classic case of the plumber's pipe always leaking. Sure. We didn't focus on building our own brand until very late into the game. Mm. In fact, we did the exact opposite. Our philosophy is stay under the radar and others won't come into your industry because they won't know how well you're doing. Okay. And as much as that may be, may be true to some extent. It makes good sense. It does, but you pay a big price for it because mm. every time you meet a new client, you have to tell your story from scratch. Mm. And you're relying on that same energy and verve translating every single time to new people. It's hard to secure great resources because people want to work for a brand. People want to go back home to their wives and husbands and say, I work for this company. 
and you've got to respect and appreciate that. So for many years, we were under the radar. In fact, we only got a website a few years ago, oh, really? okay. which is ridiculous. And our philosophy was if, if people need to know about us, they will. Mm. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. As successful CEOs, you have a responsibility, A, to build the brand of your company, to build your personal brand, to tell a good story and to inspire others around you. I believe it's Ken, was it Ken Blanchard that said, there's only two functions of, of any business, innovation, and you've mentioned innovation, and marketing. And now finally you've mentioned marketing. So uh, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think no, I, I don't know if it's the only two functions, but I, I certainly think they're primary functions. Sure. I, I think the core of our business is about innovation. And certainly in our game, we are marketing. We are defined as marketing. But marketing yourself is as important as marketing the, the, the brands of your own clients. Mm. So absolutely. Tell us quickly about your experience on Dragon's Den SA. How has that been for you? Uh, Dragon's Den has been a really interesting experience. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of learning. It's been nice to do something very different. But on a deeper level, I believe in the importance of entrepreneurship. I believe in entrepreneurs. I believe that the economy cannot rely on government spending and it cannot rely on big corporates. Mm. It has to grow as a result of entrepreneurs innovating and creating employment and employment is what it all comes down to at the end of the day. So I think entrepreneurship is so important and Dragon's Den is just a manifestation of this. It's, it serves to inspire, it serves to mentor, it serves to highlight what entrepreneurship is and isn't, what is expected of entrepreneurs if they are to raise capital from investors, if they're going to become an investable entity. I've learned a lot and I've seen some great ideas, but I've also seen some very disappointing concepts and disappointing entrepreneurs. Mm. I don't think that entrepreneurship is where it should be in South Africa. I don't think corporate South Africa or government is doing enough to support entrepreneurs. If you look at some of the initiatives that other countries are doing, proper incubation hubs, full funding, uh, mezzanine level financing, like really core, core focus on entrepreneurship. I don't think we're doing nearly enough. Mm. And we each have a responsibility to mentor and inspire entrepreneurship in this country. So for me, it was a great opportunity to do that. And hopefully I am doing that. It's been very interesting watching Dragon's Den with one eye on the TV screen and another one on Twitter. Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. It's been a revelation. I don't think I'm ever going to watch TV the same again because mm. realizing that there is this ongoing dialogue makes viewing so exciting mm. and so real and very real time. It's incredible and seeing opinions, some of which I don't agree with and some of which are pretty tough. Uh, it's been a really cool experience. Oh, well, good. So here's the question. Would you have passed your own acid test? Take yourself back a few years. Would you have passed, do you think, you and you and Run? Well, it depends at what part of the business's growth. Yeah, if sure. it was at conceptual stage, hell no. <laughs> we didn't know a thing. Sure. But uh, if you look at after a few years, we kind of started understanding who we are and what our place is in the world. It takes time. Mm. It takes time to understand that this is it. This is not the plan for the pre-planning of the thing that will happen one day. This mm. is it. You're in the middle of it. Enjoy mm. it. This is your life. Welcome to it. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think at some stage we would have because we recognized 
all the flaws that we had in our business and started applying those to new acquisitions that we were making ourselves. So Ren and I have been dragons for quite a few years. This is not a new thing. Mm, no, very, very nicely put. And, and certainly a lesson to all of our listeners who perhaps uh, would answer the same, same way that you did, how no, but uh, there, was, there are different seasons for different things, and there are seasons to make mistakes, as, as you've mm. said a number of times. Then let's look at those experiences. Let's look at some of your experiences. And maybe that will provide a really good answer to this next question, which is what do leadership or management books not teach about being a CEO or even an entrepreneur for that matter? Yeah, it's a great question. So I have had the privilege and benefit of quite a lot of education. I did three years of a BA degree. Mm -hmm. I did a BCom and completed it. I did a CFA and completed that. So, learned a lot, but it was all academic. Very little of it prepared me for life in entrepreneurship. The lessons are simple. There are no rules. You cannot learn how to be an entrepreneur. Break that. Break away from the thinking that you can get out of a book real-life experiences. Sure. But there's something very liberating about really understanding that mm. and making that a part of yourself. Another interview that I, that I did, he said this exact same thing. He said, there are no rules. If this is the matrix, you need to become Neo. You need to break those rules. That's a brilliant analogy. I love that. And that's exactly it. Is You can write whatever story you want to. And in fact, not only are there no rules, but your job as an entrepreneur, as a leader, is to see the rules and find ways to augment them and to break them. Mm. Now, rules, not laws. Sure. You can do everything ethically and morally and within the confines of, of doing things that are morally correct. But that aside, you can do whatever you want. No one's telling you what to do. Forget about school and varsity and 45-minute lectures and examinations with time constraints. There is no such thing. You can be the master of your destiny. You can be the director of your life. And if you're not into entrepreneurship for that reason, you must go get a job and go work for a boss mm. because that is the essence of it. So that is, I think, what's sorely lacking in, in the academics. The other thing is that the books aren't written fast enough for the rate of change. So I'll sure. give you an example. Papa Media, our social media business, which has been around for a, few, for a good few years. Now, when we bought into them about three years ago, absolutely every job title that existed then is no longer in existence now. Mm, okay. And there are over 40 people working at Papa Media. Not one job title that exists now with them could have been learned in varsity. Not one. Mm. So you have to understand that we live in an environment where the rate of change is so fast that if you don't accept that you're going to make the rules as you go along, if you're going to hope to have perfect information to make decisions, you will fail. Mm. You need to have a mixture of a lot of experience, gut feel, instinct, have your finger on the pulse of the industry that you're in and where it's going. Be curious. Ask questions. Be open to change and suggestion. Don't only be open to it. Embrace it and have that culture permeate into everyone below you. Because as you grow as a business, it becomes harder and harder for you as the business owner and entrepreneur 
to to embed that into the juniors. Mm, so it's got to trickle down from top down. They need to see it. And just like we're here sitting in my office, even though we're a fairly big business and we have hundreds of people working, if not thousands, across the country, you can see that my office is open. Mm. There's an open door policy. There are no blinds. There are no big leather chairs with big desks that I'm hiding behind. It's transparent. It's open. It's egalitarian because you never know who in your company is going to come up with the next big idea. You should be welcoming critique, welcoming debate. One of our pillars of our culture is healthy, heated debate. Mm. We welcome it because that's how we become better and change all the time. Mm. Oh, very, very nice. So you've got a very interesting journey because you really you started almost as a garage startup entrepreneur and you've progressed to a point where now turnover in excess of 500 million rand is that correct yeah okay and what that really means is that you've moved from being a very hands-on individual to a ceo now there must have been a number of different light bulb moments there but are there any standout experiences or light bulb moments that you can share um, with us regarding that developmental journey that you've been on yes uh one of the hardest things about growing a business is growing the business mm. <laughs> and understanding when you've hit the next quantum. So if you understand the concept of a quantum leap, yeah. businesses may grow linearly, but their structural change happens in quantums where you'll have a, a founder entrepreneur initially who is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-doing mm -hmm. and needs to be master of all trades. And then as the business progresses, has to learn to hand over responsibility and create layers of management and then layers of management to manage the managers, et cetera, sure. et cetera. And understanding that you now no longer are doing much but are thinking a lot and then eventually getting to a point where you actually do nothing. And it's weird because I actually had to, I had to work on a, a presentation a few days ago and I was completely inept. I couldn't work PowerPoint for okay. love or money, which is really weird because I actually used to be quite a PowerPoint whiz in my day okay. and an Excel one as well. And now I barely use those. Sure. I read off them. I tell some people how I'd want to change, but I don't do it. Mm. And I kind of find it refreshingly uh, fun to do and not just to delegate or to say or to think. Mm. But a CEO, an entrepreneur needs to accept that great leadership is not about doing great things, but getting others to do great things. Sure. It's about, not about motivating people, but rather about aligning the vision of motivated people to follow your vision. You've raised a great point here because I was sitting with Nicholas Kruger, who is the group CEO of the Momentum Metropolitan Merger, MMI, and I asked him the question, how did you take two teams who were really competing against one another and bring them together so that they worked as a cohesive unit? And his answer, his response to that was very simple, actually, and it was something that will stick with me forever. He said, I helped them each trust one another's intent. And that was quite a that was a revelation to me in terms of how to bring your team together. I think I hear you saying that as well. The only question that I have is how do you blend 
personal motivation with company motivation. That, that, that's uh, an interesting battle, I think, that many, many entrepreneurs, many CEOs are, are dealing with on a daily basis. It is tough. Integration is one of the hardest things that any CEO has to solve. Mm. And as a business grows, you cannot rely on, on organic growth. You, you need to start accepting that your business can only grow in, in quantums if one is to acquire. Mm. And then the question comes in is how do you ensure that the culture of the new companies gets into the culture of the old one? Mm. So it's a huge challenge. But there are a couple of easy, quick, low-hanging fruits that one could look at. The first okay. thing is focusing on communication. I really think that one of the biggest failures of any big business is its lack of ability to communicate effectively to its stakeholders and specifically its staff. We sometimes look at things like promoter score. I don't know if you've heard of the net promoter score concept where basically you look at how many people promote you versus how many people detract you and, and you kind of add that up and ho you hope to have a positive net promoter score. Really the idea of brand ambassadors. Brand ambassadors, correct. And I often find that there are companies out there whose net promoter score is higher with their consumers than it is with their ENPS, their employee net promoter score, mm -hmm. which means that your own staff wouldn't recommend you as a business as much as consumers who are so much more detached mm -hmm. and have less vested interest. And that all comes down to very weak communication and not respecting that the business is the people. People need consistency. They need to know where they're at and where they're going. And you've got to have a consistent message. It's not good to say it once. You need to say it over and over again. You need to be very clear on your purpose and you need to be clear on your culture. If you are that, then I think you'd be surprised how fast people are willing to adapt to their new environment and to accepting a new culture. The second point is this. Culture is never absolute. It is an ever-evolving, ever-changing thing, as is culture in a country or in a society. Sure. So as much as the company culture impacts and affects the individuals, the individuals should have the opportunity to impact and affect the culture. Mm. And if they feel that they are part of it, then, then there is no separation between one's own personal objectives and one's company objectives. And those who can't fit in after that will find a way to leave. Yeah, there will be some, some form of attrition in any organization. And, and I hear you saying that if those things aren't there, if that allowance isn't there, that attrition will probably be higher, really. Exactly. Mm. Thank you for your insights there. Then let's see what comes out of this next question, which is really a finish the sentence question. As a CEO, my highest priority every day is to ensure? The employment of the people that I've committed to. Mm, okay. Without you... question. So when you start a business, you're always worried about money, survival. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. That's cool. And money always plays a factor in a business because that's the definition of a business. We're not an NGO. We are here to make money. Mm -hmm. And just like... Uh, a rugby player is there to score tries. We are here to make money because that's what business is about. But a point comes, a light bulb moment comes, mm. where you realize that it's not solely about the money. And when you've achieved some of your personal objectives and 
achieved a certain level of wealth and it happens to different people at different levels but it's it's quite a consistent thing that happens with many CEOs that I've spoken to when you feel secure with your own wealth you start realizing that there is a higher calling and there is a greater responsibility mm-hmm. and there can be no greater responsibility than ensuring the consistency of the employment of of your people i, I believe that when you employ someone you make a commitment to them that for as long as they do good work they are guaranteed a job mm. that has always been our philosophy and we're very lucky because as an agency you you will know that this industry is fraught with retrenchments hirings and firings just as one wins and loses accounts sure. we have never ever retrenched an individual we fired plenty for the right reasons because they're not working for the greater good. Mm, very interesting. But we've never retrenched and I really hope that we'll never get to a point where we need to consider it and we've had some really thin years, we've had some massive risks in, ahead of us, we've lost we've lost accounts, we've lost budgets, things have happened as business happens and whenever we were tempted to retrench we we held back. Mm. And I'm so glad and so proud that I can say that that I've stuck to my word. I've given my word to every single person who works here that my focus will be on ensuring that they are guaranteed employment for as long as they do good work. The pieces of the puzzle come together nicely because, of course, on the one hand, you've spoken about employing the best people. And in spite of maybe a run of bad luck, they still potentially are the best people. So you can't let them go. If you then include that into what you're talking about here, this this um, ideal of not retrenching, it really forms a, begins to form a nice a nice picture. Thank you for that. Okay, what's the best advice you've ever received? Great advice comes not only as a result of great statements uttered, but also great timing mm. relating to that. So some of the best advice I've ever received has been just as much about when I received it as much as what was said. Sure. I'll never forget my dad after my second failure in business uh, with that financial portal. And I was really at an ebb in my life wondering, you know, have I lost all these years of experience? My peers are now in nice jobs, progressing in their, in their career, and I've mm-hmm. got nothing to show for my efforts. And here is a guy who's worked his whole life. He doesn't understand entrepreneurship. He's an engineer by profession. He pulled me aside and he said to me, Gil, follow your dreams and we will support you. Mm. And only now, after all these years, I realized what it must have taken for him to say that. Mm. Seeing his son at the age of 25, 26, jobless, careerless, failed, living at home <laughs> yeah. and believing that corporate life is the way to go in his mind and mm. in his life and yet encouraging me to follow my dreams, which wasn't corporate life. And I was tempted. I was tempted to go create a CV and go and do this thing called employment seeking. Mm. And he said, no, follow your, your dreams. It was, it was a big, big lesson to learn. A big lesson for multiple reasons. I think you've you've shared a little bit of the context of that in terms of who also delivered it. That's very important as well. Thank you for sharing that. Your thoughts just quickly on this idea that there is more security in a job than there is in owning or running your own business. Do you do you really feel like certainly in this day and age that there is that much security in a job? 
Look, it's hard for me to comment on security of, of a job because there's so many factors that, that impact that. Sure. I'd rather challenge the question of how important is that security relative to being the master of your destiny. Okay. Now, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. It really isn't. And circumstances di- very often dictate what, you, what kind of risks you can take in your life. Sure. But I also believe that you only live once. Mm. YOLO, it's such a simple, basic and humorous acronym, but it's actually so true. Sure. This is it, man. You, you got one chance. You got to follow what your calling is. And if you're hesitating, then don't do it. But you get to a point in your life where you don't see entrepreneurship as a risk. Sure. You see not taking the risk as the risk mm. because you'll never forgive yourself. When you get to that point, it's not hard to jump into it. And you'd realize that as much as some level of security is important, you'll make do. There is a very interesting uh, placard at LG's offices in South Africa. Okay. And them being Koreans, mm. they've got a very militant view of business. Sure. And it makes reference to the fact that you should, when you arrive at the, at the bay of your enemy, mm. Sink the ship, break the pottery of your plates, throw away your cutlery, and then go into battle. Effectively meaning, when you go into battle, understand that you've got no way to return yeah, home. That, you've got one direction, and you've, that's forward. You've got no chance of retreating because you're going to retreat to nothing. And I think that is kind of the view that, that one should take. So as much as security is important... The converse of it is that you have to be true to yourself and to your one life that you have, and you need to make it work for you. Mm. So in this one life that you, that you have now lived or are living, uh, that's probably a better way to phrase it, isn't it? What has been the one habit that you would really attribute to much of your success? What one habit? I gave you the mantra of passion-fueled optimism. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not a habit, but it's a mindset. Okay. So the one mindset that has really gotten me through so much has been just that, is that I have a very optimistic view of life. And I share that passion for life and for what I do with others. And I find that it's incredibly powerful and very attractive to those around me. And I guess that is the definition of inspiration. Mm. So I don't wake up every morning going, I will hereby inspire people to do my bidding. Mm. It's never about that. Sure. But I believe so strongly in our vision, in what we do, in what we're about, that it permeates to those around us. And that's how you inspire people. And even at my lowest points and disappointments and failures throughout, I focus my energies on applying passion-fueled optimism to what I do. And somehow, more often than not, things work out as a result of it. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? <laughs> it's a good question. I think I'm an introvert. Okay. I, I, it's a very interesting point because I actually read quite a lot about this because I love people. Mm. I love people. And I love interacting with people and meeting new people. But I also get terribly stressed from it. Okay. I get very nervous when going to big events and shindigs. 
And yet I'm very comfortable to speak to crowds and audiences and to be on TV and all of that. Sure. And I, I read up on it and, and it says that there are a breed of introverts who are just that and that it is not to be mistaken that the fact that they can speak to crowds and present and even act or what, it, what may be, they can still be introverts mm. and still feel that kind of angst and anxiety and yet seek it at the same time. Mm. So I'm an introvert with, uh, with a, an extroverted flair, I okay, guess. Okay, you're an extroverted introvert. I, I did hear once as well, uh, associated with this, that an introvert doesn't necessarily mean you don't have people skills and can't be out in the public eye. What it really means is that at some point you need to break away because you need to recharge. I think that's what I'm hearing you say here. That is exactly how I am. And that's, mm. that, that, so for me, it's, so, it's amazing that you say that. That is exactly, so what happens is I expend a lot of energy every day. Mm. I wake up early, I've regularly got breakfast meetings, and I've got events and, and dues most evenings. Sure. I find I have huge vitality and, and vigor. And a lot of people are quite confounded by this almost endless energy that I have. Sure. What I don't share with them is that one day of the week, I go into complete and utter shutdown. Isolation? Complete isolation. Okay. I can't talk. I can't see. I can't get. I, I stay in my, in my in my apartment. I'll watch TV. I'll read, but do nothing. And the main thing is not engage people. Yeah, exactly, yes. And it's often when people who are very intimate with me realize this, they kind of find it kind of uh, ironic mm. that this extroverted person, I put in inverted commas, cannot deal with people, but I need that recharge and that isolation, and then I can get back into it. So it's mm. quite an interesting observation. Okay. And I, I'm glad that there are other people in the world that um, do the same thing that I do. So I appreciate it. All right. Then what would you say your three pillars of CEO leadership are? You've mentioned a number of things here. Yes. Is there, are there things that you'd like to re-emphasize yeah. and then maybe even something you'd like to add to that? Yeah. So these kind of questions where, you know, name your top 10, what are your biggest three and all of those, mm. they're always kind of dangerous because it, it serves to imply that there are only three and there sure. aren't. Sure. But if, if pressed for an answer, I'd say first and foremost, clear vision. People need to know where they're going, what the big idea is. Does vision change over time? Absolutely. Should you be flexible within that vision? Yes. But be clear on your purpose and on your vision. The second thing is integrity. You cannot be in business today without absolute integrity. The world is too transparent. Communication is too free-flowing. And... There is a conversation that goes on with every single stakeholder you have. There is no more this thing of a monologue, a brand saying, this is us, take sure. it or leave it. Sure. The loop is closed all the time. You have to be integral in everything that you do, in everything that you say. You have to be uncompromising on it. Even if it means less business in the short run, you will grow and you'll be sustainable and you will be bigger and better than others if you maintain that. Mm, okay, very nice. And that integrity has to follow down from the top to the bottom and it's a non-negotiable. And then the third pillar for me is passion. 
this word, this ephemeral word that mm. we keep referring to, and it's different things to different people, but it's unmistakable. It's very powerful. It is charisma. It is attraction. It is that X factor. It is the thing that makes you go into battle with your troops and leading from the front. That's what passion is. And I think if a CEO has integrity, passion and clear purpose and vision, 80% of the problem is solved. Mm, no, very nice. So let's take those, those pillars that you've just mentioned uh, and let's just quickly ask ourselves this question or let me ask you the question certainly. Over and above formal qualifications, maybe an undergraduate degree for those who are busy with that, maybe an MBA for those who are busy with a master's program, what should uh, future CEOs these entrepreneurs and young executives be studying over and above that? So I want to challenge your question because you're intimating that it is critical to get these degrees, these qualifications. Well, I like your challenge. I don't necessarily want to say that they are are vital for success. I do understand that there are going to be some people that are going to be guided by potential engineer fathers and those fathers say, you will do this degree or the mother or or whomever it is, and and they feel it necessary. Yes, so I have a fair amount of education behind me, so it would be be a mistake for me to completely negate what I got out of my education. Mm -hmm. I do value education. I think education in South Africa is sorely lacking and very needed, and to be competitive we need educated, skilled professionals. But I wanted to be clear that I don't think for a second that having a degree is a critical or even necessary component of leadership or of entrepreneurship or of being a CEO. Very nice. It is highly dependent on timing, on what your interests are, on which industry you're getting into, et cetera, et cetera. So... Yet again, it comes back to our point about being the master of your destiny, the director of your life, and deciding for yourself what you need to get ahead. What I think, though, is critical is to be well-informed. So really ongoing learning, lifelong learning. Lifelong learning, well-informed, curious. You need to immerse yourself in what you do. Become an, an absolute expert in the game that you're playing in. So on that, I'm non-negotiable. If you are the most well-read, most experienced person in your game, you will be a success. It's Mm. a fact because you'll have something that others don't. And sometimes that comes in the form of a formal qualification and additional study. Sometimes that, that doesn't rely, as you've very nicely said, on formal qualifications. Yes, and my issue with academia today is that it is not transforming fast enough for our environment Mm. and for the business world. You've got a situation where people in high school are still learning geography and biology and not to take away from the importance of subjects like that, given limited time, would those be the topics that are most important to get you ahead in life in today's business environment? I challenge that thinking. Mm. Are there courses available in high school for social media developers? No. Should there be? Yes. Are there other basic life skills that aren't being taught that should be? Absolutely. So I think in life, you've got so much access for free to new thinking, things like TED Talks, 
and podcasts and talks like this that are so critical. I think you'd be surprised where you get your information from. But be curious and be open to suggestion, be open to changing your perspective because it's never absolute and it's never perfect. Mm. Are you a big reader at all? I used to be a, a big a big book reader. Now I'm a big book buyer. Okay. If only I read as many books as I'd buy, I'd be very well read. Unfortunately, <laughs> time gets the better of me, but I, I love reading. Mm. And surprisingly, not necessarily business books. I'm curious about the world around me. And in fact, strangely, as I've matured in, in my business life, I spend less and less time reading about business and more about other factors in life and in the world that interest me and kind of add to my overall human beingness. Mm, the, the, the human experience, as they call it. So any books that you'd recommend to our, our community, our future CEOs? Well, I think all the Malcolm Gladwell books have something great in them. Sure. And they're part of the zeitgeist of, of today's times. I mm. think those are critical. I think some autobiographies, good autobiographies of successful businessmen, uh, I've read quite a few. Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity is one that sticks out. But they serve as good inspiration and almost uh, as an example of stories that tell you that you don't know where you start and where you'll end. Mm. And there are no hard, fast rules. And sometimes things happen at a blink of an eye and by sheer chance and coincidence and chance meetings and and decisions made with less than perfect information mm. have all led to successes. And that's what good autobiographies kind of share with you. So autobiographies, I strongly recommend. There's a book I'm reading right now, which I'm absolutely loving, called The Alchemists. Not to be mistaken with the book The Alchemist, which is another book I recommend, but sure. The Alchemists about uh, the central bankers mm. during the Great Recession mm -hmm. uh, of the past few years and the decisions they made and how powerful they were and how bold and courageous they were at a time when they were going against the populist view. Sure. But that's my book of right now. No, I like your answer because um, who was it? Um, Anthony Farr, the CEO of the Ellen Gray Orbis Foundation, he said if you, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I'll add um, something, he said if you haven't read Steve Jobs' autobiography and I'd, go, I'd like to add a Richard Branson autobiography and, 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 he would challenge your perception or the idea that you think you're an entrepreneur. If you haven't read that, you're not an entrepreneur. That's what, what he seems to be saying. So thank you for sharing. We're coming to the end of our conversation. Maybe one or two more questions. Uh, and here's a nice one. If you could go back in time to the 20-year-old, young, ambitious you, what counsel would you give yourself? First one is, I don't mean to sound cheesy, but I really mean it. I would go to my 20-year-old self and say, Gil, believe in yourself. Just trust that everything will be okay. Mm. I wish someone said it to me convincingly. I, I'd heard it a lot, but not convincingly so. I wish someone would have come and said that to me because as an entrepreneur, you carry huge self-doubt all the time, even if you've reached great success. And every time you embark on a new venture, a new acquisition, new element in your company, a new industry that you decide you want to compete in, you have huge self-doubt. And if sure. only I kind of just realized that things will be okay. The second piece of advice would be to say, 
take time out to enjoy the ride. I think we were so busy chasing after the next deal that we never took time to celebrate our successes mm. and to appreciate where we were. And I, I've changed fundamentally how I approach my life. And in today's times, I take every day, every single day, I make a point of being grateful for what I have, for what I've achieved and for the person that I am, notwithstanding all my flaws and faults and things I want to work on. I'm just grateful for being being alive and being alive at this moment in time in this wonderful country. So take some time to appreciate what you're going through because this is your life. It's not the rehearsal. This is it. Gil, it's been a great conversation, uh, and we really appreciate your you sharing your insights and your experience with us. Any final words or final comments to our future CEOs community as they grow their businesses or, or attempt to fast track their careers to really achieve that CEO status? Yeah, I think uh, so. Firstly, I had a great time speaking to you, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners. And I hope some of those words serve to inspire and motivate. But ultimately. Understand that we each have our lives to live. There are no rules. You cannot be dictated to. You shouldn't be dictated to. Mm. And you've got one opportunity to make a joint. So whether you're in a corporate gig, whether you're a hired gun, or alternatively, whether you may be an aspiring entrepreneur or an established CEO, enjoy the moment, believe in yourself, back yourself, and, and be the director of your life and the master of your destiny. And... Just do it. Great last words. Gil Overd, the co-founder and co-CEO of the Creative Council, it's been an absolute pleasure. What a great conversation. If you'd like to get in touch with Gil or the Creative Council, you can find those contact details on the summary page on our website. I'm Gareth Armstrong. It's been good being with you again. Thanks for joining us today on Future CEOs, and we hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take action. Head over to future-ceos.com for show summaries, recaps, articles, and other resources aimed at fast-tracking your rise to CEO status. To make it even easier for you, simply sign up for our weekly newsletter, and we'll keep you up to date on all interviews, special guest appearances, new developments, and more.